0: Elon called. Charles Schwab called.
1: Dee Dee Wilsey called.
0: God. This is Political Breakdown from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Scott Schaefer. It is January 10th, and that is the constitutional deadline for the governor to release the first draft of a new state budget for the next fiscal year. And that is exactly what Governor Gavin Newsom did today. And it's a bit of a reversal of fortune. You know, for years, California got used to huge budget surpluses, so much money, in fact, that a couple years ago, taxpayers actually got a juicy tax refund. But it is a different story now. Although the Legislative analyst Office had said California has a $68 billion deficit, the Department of Finance and Newsom said today, well, it's not so bad. The shortfall is just, and that is in quotation marks, just $38 billion. That's about 12% of the uh, current budget and a little more than half of what the LAO said. So, so that budget, well, you know, it pays for everything from K-12 education, public schools, that is, Medi-Cal, uh, that's the state's health care system for low-income folks, prisons, homelessness, housing programs, Caltrans, the list goes on and on. And so the challenge is now for the governor and the legislature over the next few months is balancing that budget in the least painful way possible hopefully without undoing a lot of the progress California is trying to make on things like homelessness. Now, later in the show, I'm going to be joined by Chris Haney of the California Budget and Policy Center to sort through some of the big spending decisions ahead. But first, KQED's Marisa Lagos joins me from Sacramento, where the governor laid out his budget blueprint. Hey, Marisa.
1: Hey, Scott.
0: So uh, set the scene for us up there. Uh, the top line, I think, and he said this right away, is that the deficit isn't as bad as we thought. Of course, he was saying, oh, well, I've known this all along. Why do you keep reporting it? But kind of, you know, tell us about that that number, the big number.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the state has been in a kind of Sticky and, as the governor put it, unprecedented in its history. Situation here because the IRS delayed California's tax deadline. Um, this was due to those really horrible winter storms last year. They wanted to give folks in disaster zones more time to file, and so a lot of you know last year's budget they were kind of doing with a blindfold on. They really didn't have the final numbers, and so I think you've seen. I mean, this is all projections too. So, you know, I think the governor admitted that his Department of Finance is making more rosy, shorter-term projections, although he also said the LAO's longer-term projections are a little rosier, so he hopes they're right on that one. Um, So, you know, it is always a bit of a guessing game, and I think that, you know, it's not uncommon to see a little bit of daylight between these two uh, organizations and their numbers. This is a lot of daylight, so we'll have to see who's right.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, and sometimes there's a bit of a political agenda as to what the number the governor comes up with in the legislature. You know, uh, Jerry Brown always used to lowball the revenue because he was a bit of an austerity freak. Um, But we'll have to see what those numbers do look like. But I think there was not at all, at least I did not sense, you were in the room, but just watching online, I did not sense any kind of uh, you know, sense of crisis on the Governor's part.
1: No, I mean, I was thinking about that on my walk back from his news conference, like the difference between, I mean, going back even further, you know, during Arnold Schwarzenegger's terms when the state literally had to issue IOUs. Right. And it was just these deep, austere budgets where every social safety net was being cut. We are not seeing this here. I mean, the governor is saying that we need to pull back a little bit on some of the climate investments that have been promised. He wants to curb a little bit of spending on some housing development programs. Um, you know, there's uh, nibbling around the edges, I would put a lot of these cuts, right? I mean, they're not decimating any of these programs. And really, some of it is kind of easy things. I mean, maybe not easy for the folks who have to pick up the slack, but, you know, cutting vacant positions, uh, slowing down spending on things like new cars and phones and travel, um, and I think the one that is going to be really interesting to watch is this very benign sounding legislative request cut. He wants to essentially delay, cut, uh, not implement about $350 million worth of programs approved last year by the legislature that he signed into law, and that includes he signaled some openness to wanting to delay the minimum wage hike for healthcare workers. So I think there's going to be some sticky political questions when we get to that because, of course, lawmakers are going to be protective of the things that they fought for. We're already seeing some anger from folks like Scott Wiener and Henry Stern on some of the uh, climate programs that they put into law last year. Yeah,
0: and it's also from environmental activists and so on, but, you know, we will, you know, these things are our negotiation. one of the things that, you know, of course, could help with this would be more revenue. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk about a uh, wealth tax, uh, something promoted by Alex Lee from the South Bay, the assemblyman from down there. It would be a one and a half percent tax on people with assets worldwide of a billion dollars or more. You know, your friends and my friends. Right, Marisa? Um, I mean, us, really, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but, you know, Newsom really took umbrage. He bristled at the reporting, especially from the Wall Street Journal uh, on this being an actual possibility. He was pretty emphatic that he does not support it. But he said, you know, he's been hearing from a lot of people. You know how many calls I got about that? The damage they intentionally knowingly do? I think it's shameful because I think it's done very intentionally. It's not truth seekers. It's ideological warriors. But that editorial board, it's a broken clock. They do it over and over and over again to damage this state. I have too much pride and love for my state. <laughs> it's interesting, Risa. Of all things to get really upset about, it's the Wall Street Journal editorial page, which has for you know, decades, forever, really been extremely conservative, right wing. Uh, but I guess that's who his friends read and pick up the cell phone and call him.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, we can talk about that aspect. Clearly, uh, if his friends are calling, I'm assuming that's not because they're necessarily just fiscal hawks, but maybe the people who might be impacted by this. I mean, but I think more broadly, this speaks to a few things. One is just how Newsom has sort of tried to frame his governance, which is, I think, you know, to g- hearken back to our former Governor Jerry Brown, paddle a little to the left, paddle a little to the right, maybe not as much to the right as Jerry might have. But he really has been careful, I think, to not come up here and appear to be this like sort of tax and spend liberal, right? And this gets to, I think, his broader political goals. um. But also, you know, I do think that he's very sensitive to this perception that California is already overtaxed, that companies are leaving the state. um. And I think that, you know, it is a combination of both you know, maybe a little thin skin, maybe a little bit of his broader political goals, and then you know, I think I think his defense of California is—it's it, 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 heartfelt. It, it, yeah, I don't think it's coming from you know yeah. someplace.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's uh, talk about uh, the rainy day fund and other sources of reserves. It has been built up quite a bit over the years, and the governor is going to tap into that, uh, but by how much?
1: Right, so the reserve, if you believe the governor's numbers, is actually slightly larger than the deficit. So it's about thirty-eight billion dollars. He's saying that the state should take about thirteen billion dollars out of that to help kind of stem uh, this shortfall. That will leave, you know, over eighteen billion in there. Um, and and to your point, it doesn't feel like this sort of like hand wringing budget emergency that we've seen in years past. I think that. Um, You know, the state and and Democrats in particular, I think you have to give Newsom and his predecessor and the legislature credit, have worked really hard to build up those reserves and to pay down some of the state's structural deficits like around things like pension liabilities. And he's continuing those investments. So it's definitely not like, you know, I think – There's a concern by some folks that they would just sort of come in and in one fell swoop, empty out those savings accounts. That's not what the governor is proposing. Um, And in fact, you know, he thinks that maybe things could be bouncing back a little bit and maybe it won't be as bad as as they're projecting.
0: And I know, Marisa, you asked a question about Prop 47. Uh, I don't don't want to get into all that, but that was the ballot measure addressing, uh, you know, when crimes can be charged as misdemeanors and felonies. Was there anything in in his talk today about criminal justice reform generally?
1: You know, he was very kind of bullish on his defense of 47 and of reform broadly. You know, he acknowledged that there's a problem out there. A lot of what he has talked about policy-wise that he wants to see done is really targeting organized retail thefts, professional thieves, people who go in, steal stuff in order to resell it. Um, And so I do think that he has kind of laid down a gauntlet here uh, around sort of protecting some of the the strives that the state has made around reducing prison populations and reducing spending on that. Uh, But he has acknowledged Acknowledging that there's a challenge and that it needs to be tackled, and I do think that's a sea change from the last few years, where you really see everyone at the table. I mean, the the, the proposal he rolled out uh, is being praised both by the reformers and by the retailers, who are not a group that agree on a lot right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And of course, uh, we're gonna really get a much better sense of where things are with the budget uh, in May. There will be revenues coming in in April. The IRS is not changing the deadline this year, uh, and so. We'll get that May revise as we do every year and have a much more solid idea of where we are. All right, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, Maurice and I are going to be joined by Chris Haney of the California Budget and Policy Center. You're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. We'll be right back. <music>
1: Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!
2: Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I'm
0: And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos, who is up in Sacramento, where Governor Newsom today rolled out his take on solving the state's budget deficit. And joining us now is Chris Haney. He heads up the California Budget and Policy Center. They're a nonpartisan organization that analyzes state spending priorities with a focus on low income and middle income households. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So let me just begin. Maurice and I chatted a little bit uh earlier uh before you joined us about the you know just the big picture uh, beside that sigh of relief, knowing that the deficit is a bit quite a bit smaller than we thought it was w- What were your thoughts?
3: Well, we hope the governor's right. It would be better would certainly be better if the deficit was thirty nine billion instead of what the legislative analyst office had predicted, which was sixty eight billion that would make this Much more manageable. But I think the good news is that the fiscal management of the state for the last decade, I think, has left the state leaders with a lot of tools available to manage through this one way or another. Governor gave his take today, and I'm sure the legislature will have their own thoughts about that.
0: Yeah. And how does your organization, the California Budget and Policy Center, think about uh, a situation like this or any budget for that matter? I mean, obviously, there are some going to be some cuts, some savings, some delayed implementation of things, dipping into some of the reserves and always the possibility for new revenue. Like, how do you see that and how does it compare to what the governor laid out today?
3: Yeah. So the way we think about it, even though we're focused on the budget, we think about it as state leaders have a responsibility to make progress for Californians one way or the other, whether we're in surplus or deficit. So the budget's an input. It's not an outcome in and of itself. Uh, And so even in a deficit period, state leaders need to look at the situation in California and say, hey, the cost of living's still really high. Uh, We know there are folks who are still struggling to get by. We know there's investments in housing and homelessness and other arenas that are needed. And so they need to use every tool that they have available to try to still make some progress, even in a down year.
1: So you're not a fan of his lashing out at the wealth tax being off the table? (laughs)
3: Yeah, we're not a fan generally of his just being resistant to taxes overall. You know, in prior periods when we've faced shortfalls, state leaders have done reasonable things like temporarily suspend corporate tax breaks. Uh, I think you could make an argument that's a really good idea right now. Corporations have done great in California uh, in terms of their own income. And that was pre-pandemic. It ha- they did great during the pandemic. They've done well even amid economic conditions that include rising interest rates. So, you know, asking them to maybe forego some of their tax breaks for a couple years for the state to make some other investments doesn't seem unreasonable. So it's, it's more the issue of the lack of interest in taxes overall.
0: This is an election year, not for the governor, but for a lot of members of the legislature. That's a tough ask, isn't it, to raise taxes? I know that, you know, uh, Alex Lee is uh, actually calling for that wealth tax uh, and he is up for election. But, you know, uh, how do you make the case to especially moderate Democrats, much less Republicans, uh, but moderate Dems especially, who might be resistant to that idea?
3: Yeah, I think you make the case that there are needs and that there are significant needs and that those needs are uh, primarily there for low and middle income Californians who are struggling the most to deal with the state's high cost of living and implications of the pandemic, other crises that we're facing, those needs were made worse uh, over the last few years even though other economic indicators were were good and we you know, I think most people in California know You've got homelessness challenges. Most people know the cost of living is high, mostly due to housing. Uh, you know, we the, the, one of the ways that the governor is proposing to deal with some of these issues is delaying some investments in the public health workforce, yet we know we need an expanded public health workforce because we just went through a global pandemic. So I think you just make the case that there are needs, and then you try to point to the fact that there's there are fairness issues. You know, we ask high-income earners in our personal income tax system to pay more than lower-income tax earners. We don't ask corporations that make more to pay more than small businesses. Is that a fair system? So I I just think there's still progress that can be made.
0: We've we've seen California make some progress uh, with some big investments in things like homelessness and affordable housing. And Marisa, just what's your take on How touched or untouched those things are going to be if the governor's budget that he unveiled today is going to be implemented? And, of course, we know it's going to change between now and June.
1: Yeah, I mean, homelessness was the first thing he mentioned when he talked about protecting existing programs. And so, I mean, to be fair, there are some cuts he's proposing to some housing development programs. Um, But I think in the grand scheme of things, they're not huge going to have huge impacts immediately. I think some of it is, you know, reducing money instead of just cutting it outright when we talk about things like, um, like I was looking at some of the various housing programs he wants to reduce by $1.2 billion. One of these is like this program to help plan more climate friendly developments. Um, There's still going to be, I think, some money in that. Another one is sort of these low interest, long term deferred payment loans uh, for lower income development. Um, Again, there's still money in the bank for that. So it's not as if he's talking about just like cutting them all together. And I think that broad brushstrokes, I mean, those are the things he talked about protecting housing and homelessness, protecting mental health. I mean, let's be real. The, the thing the governor will be talking about the next two months isn't this budget. It's his proposition on the ballot for a $6.8 billion bond to fund mental and behavioral health services and change some of the rules around that. Um, and so I think that, you know, those are things that both in terms of what the governor and lawmakers hear about when they go back to their communities, and also just like what he wants to leave as a legacy is not this sort of over you know in over year over year increase in homelessness um and i think you know one thing to watch again and we said this last year too but you it, it, it goes on is like how they deal an interface with counties and cities on this stuff, right? We've seen lawsuits and threats of lawsuits for cities like from San Francisco to Huntington Beach over not approving housing development. You know, he's also pretty bullish on the idea that he feels like the money is there to clean up encampments and that it's really up to the local governments to make that work. So uh, definitely not, you know, abandoning that priority as of yet.
0: Yeah, and Chris, uh, you know, the governor did talk today about – Funding for mental health programs. And to Marisa's point, there is this ballot measure uh, on the ballot in March uh, that the governor is pushing to provide more treatment beds and use some of the uh, income tax on high income earners, a million dollars and more that already exists on housing for homeless folks. Does that buy him, do you think, some leeway in how he deals with this budget, knowing that if that ballot measure passes, and it does seem to be quite popular, at least in the preliminary polling, does that buy him some leeway when it comes to these other programs that you care about? I think it probably does. Uh, I think the most important issue there is that,
3: you know, I think if there's an issue that he feels like he is very much maligned over for not having done enough, it has to do with the homelessness crisis. And there's a strong connection between that crisis and behavioral health system issues. And so I, th- I think he sees it, as Marissa was saying, about his legacy and how has he responded to this. Because he's put a lot of one-time funding into anti-homelessness programs. He's put a lot of effort into reform and one-time funding in the behavioral health space. And so being able to put some ongoing funding through this bond measure is, is something I think he sees as a legacy issue, fundamentally important to how this goes going forward. It probably helps him a bit with the budget deliberations, but it's probably I think it's more important in terms of how he sees, you know, his responsiveness to the crisis the state is facing.
0: On the spending side, you're going to hear some calls, I'm sure, from at least some Republicans to uh, maybe delay that commitment to expand Medi-Cal to folks regardless of their legal status. Uh, Maybe the idea of maybe trimming back the earned income tax credit and I, I'm just wondering, Marisa, what, what, what did the governor say about that today? Does he seem is – is there any daylight between him and, you know, most Democrats in the legislature who support those programs?
1: I don't think so. And interestingly, we've even seen some Republicans come to the defense of that. I think that there's a growing understanding, um, you know, that there is a benefit to getting people into healthcare before they're sick. That that actually saves the state money. Um, so he is absolutely doubling down on that. That is not one of the cuts. I mean, one thing he did indicate he might want to go after or delay is this proposal or this law, really, to increase the minimum wage for healthcare workers. Um, I think that's, as I said at the top, going to set up an interesting set of negotiations with lawmakers, you know, who really pushed that. And that was part of a pretty sort of delicate deal between a lot of different players. Um, He was asked about that today and sort of said, look, we're all on the same team. We're going to negotiate it. Um, But I I would expect, you know, like I said before, a little bit of of miffed feelings from lawmakers who have policy priorities that the governor is saying, well, let's just like pump the brakes on that.
0: Let me ask both of you, and I'll start with you, Chris. Uh, We are just, you know, a little over halfway through this fiscal year. And so there is an opportunity to go into the current budget, reopen it, maybe make some trims or make some changes, freeze some things. And I'm wondering, what did the governor say about that? I don't think he specifically proposed that, but he seemed to be kind of open to it. What's your take?
3: Yeah, I think that. The reality here is that one of the reasons this budget shortfall seems so dramatic and all of the sudden is because we really didn't learn about the revenue picture for the state until early December, because most people's tax filings weren't due until the fall um, because of the delays at the federal and the state level. And so, you know, some of the deficit or some of the shortfall would have been dealt with back in April and May, if we'd all filed our taxes at the kind of normal time, and state leaders would have seen a larger shortfall then, and then they probably would have made some other moves. Uh, Now all of that has to happen pretty rapidly, and so I wouldn't be surprised to see some early action, as they call it, in the legislature to make some adjustments to the current year budget. That's certainly something that state legislators have signaled some willingness about doing the legislative analyst office seemed to indicate that was probably a good idea. And the governor doesn't seem to have suggested they're unwilling to do that in the administration
0: either. Marisa, what do you think?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that that's one of those ones that they might be more eager to say it than to do it. <laughs> like, it's easier to pressure the governor to do it because mid-year cuts aren't fun. We're talking about programs that have already sort of been promised um, these things. But I do predict that, that we're going to see, I mean, we used to call them budget gimmicks, um, but there's a lot of, like, delay sort of, uh, you know... Uh, what 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 do they call it? There's delay and there's defer, defer right? And so one of the things in here is like, we're not going to pay June uh employee wages until July 1st to like <laughs> defer that. You see those kind of tricks a lot. I think that within, if the budget is reopened this year, some of those types of tricks might actually be used as well. Like you can eliminate vacant positions easily or with less pain, um, except for the people again that are left holding the bag on that. But like, I think there's a lot of stuff like that where you see the government governor, you know, back to this, like, no new cell phones, no new cars. Um, There's going to be things where they ask agencies to kind of tighten their belts. Um, But I wouldn't expect like a wholesale rethinking. I mean, and again, we're still, you know, a lot of this is projections. And so as tax revenues continue to come in, maybe we'll have a better idea of what they're willing to do, what they have an appetite for. You know, we've had this.
0: Go ahead, Chris. That's a good
3: point. You know, I think one of the things to think about here is how soon we'll be in April and May. And presumably there won't be another extension of our tax filing deadlines. And so hopefully there won't be (laughs) anything like those last (laughs) year's
1: winter
2: storms. Yeah,
3: Uh, And so in April and May, we'll be starting to get a clearer picture of the revenue collections based on the tax year for 2023, which was a, a pretty good year for the stock market, was overall a pretty good year in terms of other economic indicators, which was not the case for 2022, which is the source of the problem for this For this budget shortfall. So it could be that the overall, you know, kind of. Framework here changes a lot, even in the matter of four or five months.
1: Well, and that's a really interesting point, right? Is like what does happen with the broader kind of economic forces that have really helped create this deficit, right? I mean, interest rates continually being raised really put the damp, you know, didn't just dampen like capital gains taxes, but also the appetite for investment in our tech sector and places like that. And so, if we continue to see this recovery, seems like Jerome Powell's interest rate hikes did what he wanted, right? Inflation is low off, you know, we could see it's just so I mean, you can't overstate how tied to Wall Street and the sort of broader economic uh, picture California's budget is. And I think that that is like just, you know, it's I mean, this is what the governor is trying to frame this as. This isn't an emergency. This is a return to normal because the capital gains incomes in 2021 were just I mean, off the charts, essentially.
0: Yeah, exactly. One thing the governor did take a moment to do, and, you know, you have to say that he was justified, is, you know, back in October when he was vetoing bills and saying, we can't afford this, you know, we've got some rainy days coming. Uh, You know, a lot of people questioned his motivations. Some thought, well, he's just vetoing that because he wants to run for president or he wants to raise his national profile. And I I do think that, uh, you know, he took a bit of a, I don't want to say a victory lap, but I think he did say, hey, I was right about that. And, Maurice, I think, you know, I think he was justified in saying that.
1: Yeah, I mean, he also, you know, always has his eye on on other stuff. And I think on the other side, you see the Republican Party lashing out saying they should have saved more. So like, you're never going to make everybody happy. And I do think that it's not the first or last time that a governor might use uh, the potential of fiscal sort of challenges to head off some policy, things he doesn't like, and also, you know, to make sure that we're in a responsible situation. It it can be both.
0: All right. And tomorrow, we're going to get a different perspective. Maurice and I are going to be talking to State Senate President Pro Tem, Tony Atkins. So we'll hear what she has to say as well. Thanks, Chris Haney from the California Budget and Policy Center and Marisa Lagos. Thanks. uh, Safe driving back from Sacramento today.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right, that is a wrap for Wednesday, January 10th. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED. Our engineer is Seal Muller. Our producer is Izzy Bloom. I'm Scott Schaefer. Thanks so much for listening.